Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. And today I am delighted to welcome as my guest, Gabe Arnold. Gabe, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me, Meredith. I'm glad to be here. Well, I want to give a shout out to David Schreiner-Khan, who is the one that introduced us. He's a wonderful colleague uh, to both of us, and he was recently a guest on my show. So I'm so glad to know you. And before we jump into all the questions that I have for you, I want to give a bit more formal introduction so my audience gets to know who you are. Gabe is the founder and CEO of Business Marketing Engine. He's known as a serial problem solver. And with his 22 years of experience in professional writing, computer technology, and marketing management, It's a title that fits him well, and you'll see why as we get into our conversation. Gabe has helped more than a thousand young startups grow into established enterprises. He's dedicated his life to finding ways to help teams of all sizes create effective results-based organizational models. And he created his first million-dollar product, Copywriter Today, in 2014, and he's continued to scale and grow from there. And here's one of my favorite parts about Gabe, because behind all these successes is a person who values, like I do, Gabe, personal relationships and living life to the fullest. Gabe strives to create an environment of trust and open communication with his team and clients. And this is my favorite part. He believes that people who make a lasting positive impact in this world are those who choose kindness, love, and respect above all else. Amen, Gabe. I'm with you on that 100%. (laughs) And especially today, it feels like we need that so much. You've had a fascinating journey as an entrepreneur. And so what I would like to start with is asking from your experience, what does it take to be a successful entrepreneur? And what are some of the lessons learned along the way that have helped you? I think that uh, I think entrepreneurship is really popular right now, um, for many reasons, and, and many good reasons. But excuse me. Um, But I think the biggest thing that I've realized is that as an entrepreneur, I am more afraid of not taking action than the risks. And as I look back at all the things I've done over the years, I, I would sit and contemplate like, do I want to try this? Do I want to experiment? Do I want to open the new business or call the customer or do the, do the thing that I was, you know, probably uh, that I was afraid to do. I would sit and say, well, am I more afraid of the risk or the outcome of that choice? Or am I more afraid of not doing anything, not taking action? And that's always been a huge driving force for me because I'm always more afraid of inaction than the risk of action. And and I think that's what, to, for me, really defines part of the entrepreneurial journey because 
I wouldn't consider myself like uh, a big risk taker. Um, I, I do take risks and I take calculated risks and I really think things through, but sometimes I think entrepreneurship is portrayed as like, Oh, the people that'll make the big, take the big better, you know, have, do the risky thing. And it's really, if you study entrepreneurs and, you know, which I have done extensively. And if you look at any entrepreneurs around you that are successful in the long run, um, they've generally taken measured bets and measured risks and realize that, well, if I don't do something then I'm more afraid of that outcome than doing something. And so that would be my kind of my synopsis of what entrepreneurship is about for me. Hmm. That's a really important um, insight because I know that there are times when we're presented with an opportunity and it's very tempting to jump in and not consider all those risks that could happen. <clears throat> On the other hand, as you say, it's important. I, I like your word measured risks. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to know, are there any specific questions you've asked yourself other than the one you just said that help you kind of weigh the pros and cons in, in making the yes or no decision? It's definitely like case by case, you know, because there's a lot of factors involved, but I start to, I have to, I'm working on a couple decisions this week that I need to make. And it's like a $50,000 decision for the year. It's, it's not huge, but it's not small. Like that's mm -hmm. not, that's not no money. Uh, and, and more importantly, there's a big time investment. Usually when you make any, when you make a, typically when you make a high dollar investment, there's just as much time or there can be as much time. So for this decision I'm making this week, there's two positions that I need to create basically in my company because they don't exist right now because I, I fill them some of the time and I have other team members who fill the role some of the time. And so what I do when I'm making a decision is I start to think, okay, what if I don't do this? Like back to kind of what I said it, and this is a good example. So I, um, we're, we're bringing a, a new client liaison to help uh, bring our clients on board when they sign with us. Um, and really make that process really smooth and successful and help people truly understand like our culture and how we operate. Um, and then I'm also hiring a sales, a new sales account manager. And with both of those, I have to think and say, okay, hiring those is a risk. Um, and just the upfront will cost me a bunch of money, like I said, without any guarantee of results. But if I don't do that, then what's the other, what's the other result? I'll continue to have to carry some of the sales account management that isn't going to be effective in the long run. I can't do all the jobs all the time. Um, and I'll, and we're not onboarding our clients as effectively as we could right now because it's being done by project managers or salespeople or, you know, other people on the team. And so what's the impact of that? If I look at those, uh, the results of that over time, it's going to be way more expensive than me investing this money. So, I try to do uh, essentially, I guess, a pros and cons list. I don't really think about it that way, but that'll be something people relate to. Um, and I also try to take things to the extreme in my head. So if I say like, if I don't hire these positions for five years or 10 years, what's going to happen? It would definitely stagnate my growth and it would, and, and when you're not growing, you're dying in my book in business. Um, and then I could also say like, you know, what's the best thing that could happen. And then somewhere in the middle, is really what's going to happen typically. Uh, and so that's how I start to evaluate risk is like, what's the cost of not doing things? Cause I've generally that's more risky than doing something. 
Cause if I hire these people that we're considering and they don't work out, I can let them go. Like, and I can find somebody better or maybe I hire them and I didn't realize all these other things they should have been doing um, that were super helpful, you know, that are super helpful to us now, but there, there's usually less downside in action than an inaction. Mm. I, I'm with you on that. <clears throat> I kind of look at it as all an experiment, right? And so you're gathering data as you implement a specific experiment and that data gives you uh, information that then can help you decide, you know, your next point of, of yeah. what to do next. Well, a lot of my audience is uh, made up of people who are service professionals, Gabe. You know, they deliver consulting, coaching, training, or some other service that people provide them, and they love delivering that particular service. Mm-hmm. But they aren't as comfortable marketing themselves because they're the product, basically, yeah. right? And so I would love with your experience and expertise in this whole arena of marketing, what are some things that you might suggest that would help them become more comfortable with that marketing? My grandfather is the one who taught me a lot about business and sales and marketing. And he used to say something to me and to my dad years ago that, that I think applies here. And then I can get into some more specific tactics, but sometimes uh, my dad would be coming up with a price quote for, they, they owned a, a masonry company and he'd be coming up with the price and my grandpa would look and he'd say, he'd say that's too low. We're not going to make enough money. And, and he would mark it up to what it needed to be. And he would say to my dad and he would say to me many times too, in years after, if we don't charge enough, we won't be in business next year and there'll be nobody to help this customer. And the same is true as it relates to marketing because marketing is an investment in your future as a business owner, as a service provider. It's also an investment in your marketplace. So if you're not consistently marketing yourself, then there are people out there who are either hiring the wrong people who aren't helping them at all or not hiring anybody. And that means that you are then not serving your audience and you're not really helping them. And the, the problem there is that it's going to be costly and it's going to be painful for your clients. Put, take yourself out of the picture. Your clients and prospects and your future clients and prospects that really need you um, are not going to be served well if you don't consistently speak up and talk about what you do. So in it's the, the, I have a saying based on what my grandfather told me that it, that's related to this, but kind of same principle. I always tell people, if you're not charging enough, then you're screwing your customers. And it's the same thing uh, because you're either not going to be in business or they're not going to pay attention or value it. Like again, kind of the core of my answer is it's not about you. It's about your market. It's about your prospects. It's about your clients. And so, um, learning the skills, becoming confident, talking about what you do, you know, using resources from Meredith or from myself or, you know, all these different um, options you have is key because it's about how you show up and serve your marketplace. And there's things that we have to do as entrepreneurs that are difficult, that we don't enjoy, that we may not be comfortable in, that we have to do for a season uh, until somebody else on our team can take it over. But that's really the key is realizing that it's not about what you enjoy or what you're comfortable with. Um, it's about what's you know right for the people around you. Mm-hmm. So really what you're talking about is an attitude or mm-hmm. kind of a mindset that someone adopts. Yeah. Um, and, and what I'm hearing you say is it's really an idea of taking it away from you. The focus is not on you and what happens if I do this or that. It's on the other person. 
And yep. how can I be of And I have a responsibility to let them know and to get yeah. the word out about uh, what I do. So yeah. what are some strategies uh, when you think about somebody creating a marketing strategy, what are some of the elements that ought to be included in that so that it's a really, I don't know if comprehensive is the right word, but it cover it's not single focus. It's, it's yeah. broader and, and uh, multifaceted. Yeah, the, the biggest thing I would encourage people to be aware of first is that in order to be successful in the long term with marketing, which will then lead to sales if done done correctly, is um, that you don't want to focus on single channels or just the popular channels of marketing. Um, and one of the things at Business Marketing Engine that we always talk about with our clients is being omni-channel, being in multiple places, because um, we're a full-service marketing firm. We're not just a digital marketing firm, and we're not just a traditional media um, firm. So we'll help our clients with radio or direct mail or television. Um, you know, we'll help them with email marketing, um, and other things like that. And it's really key that you just realize that one is just because everybody says you need to be running Facebook ads doesn't mean you should, that's the only thing, or that's, you know, that's, you don't even have to be there necessarily. So what I would look for is first, start to really have conversations with your existing clients and prospects in your audience and say, where do you, you know, read the news? Where do you learn about things in your industry? Where, you know, where are you connecting or hanging out in person and virtually right in digital spaces? And if you, if you have those conversations and it really only takes 10 or 15 or maybe 20 at most, and you'll see a pattern of people saying, Oh, like I'm always in this Facebook group, or, you know what? I read this trade magazine all the time, or I listen to NPR or whatever, whatever the thing is that they're going to tell you, you're going to see a pattern there. And as soon as you realize that, then the key is to start to be in multiple places that your clients are. So um, if, if they are on Facebook, then do run Facebook ads. If they are people that enjoy reading, you know, things physically mailed to them, start a simple direct mail newsletter. It doesn't have to be crazy expensive or difficult. Um, if you're geographically focused, run radio ads like they're very affordable um they get great return you get you know you get really affordable cost per thousand you know listens impressions is how we would look at it online right um and and find at least two different channels that you can start to surround your client with and out of that make sure that you're building a list so either building an email list and or ideally you're building a physical mailing list too of, of mailing addresses because then if the channel changes or Facebook updates something and things aren't working the way you thought, or, you know, you run radio for a season, but you don't run it all year, then you still have an email list where you can send updates and, you know, and continue the conversation with those prospects. So those would be kind of my initial thoughts around that. Mm -hmm. So using email and direct mail and, and then what I really like about what you're saying is this idea of taking time to slow down, don't make assumptions about where your prospects may be hanging out, but ask existing clients first yeah, and, and kind of confirm your assumptions before yeah. you start investing time and energy and money into mm -hmm. places that may or may not reach them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's too many, it's too easy to turn on a Facebook ad. And so people can go do that and they just assume that's where their audience wants to be contacted. And that's the only place they want to be contacted. And we run millions of dollars of Facebook ads for our clients. It's not a bad channel to be clear. Um, 
But assuming that's the only place or the first place means that you haven't had a conversation with your actual audience. And in a, in a world where we can point and click or get on our you know, phone and you know, look things up and not have to have conversations like we're having now, it's easy to unintentionally avoid those or not have enough conversations where you're just asking those questions. And it's the fastest way to blow all your money is to start marketing without having conversations with the market you're going to market to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then you're not going to get the results and you get discouraged. Well, yeah. one of the strategies that you and I had talked about before that I thought, oh my goodness, we've got to go into depth here has to do with what you call building referral networks where mm-hmm. you create marketing partnerships with influencers. And I think for my audience, this is a key strategy. So I'd like to spend some time going deep with you on this. What is that, first of all? And then what does it look like to implement? Yeah, that's a great point. So um, I just finished a really, really powerful book by Nordy Cohen, which I have sitting somewhere here. Um, So I'll show you. Um, He sent me as an author copy, but this is called The Participation Game by Nordy Cohen. And it's it's really excellent research that I'd, I'd recommend everybody check out. And he talks about in there, um, him and his research firm that he owns, they surveyed 18,000 millennials over the last three or four years. And the, the biggest source, you know, the biggest um, influences on their buying behavior was word of mouth and, you know, essentially shares and referrals and things online. And so just as a reminder, that's still an incredibly powerful way to engage your audiences, word of mouth and referrals. Like it's, it's definitely important. There, there's some other really valuable insights in that book as well. But as we think about getting referrals and using an influencer, first, I want to re-clarify what an influencer is so people don't confuse it with all the things that are out there. Yes, having Kim Kardashian talk about your business on her Instagram profile would be technically considered an influencer talking about your business. But no, you don't need to pay a million dollars for a single Instagram post um, because that probably isn't effective for where you're at. You would either get overwhelmed or it wouldn't work at all because that may not be your audience. But influencers in my space that I, that I have great referral partnerships with are people that have owned you know, media buying agencies for a long time that we collaborate on, um, people that have been in telecom, you know, that have clients who need technology and marketing services. Um, I have a a referral guy who sends me a lot of referrals who does a little bit of freelance copywriting, but doesn't want to take on huge marketing projects. Um, Those are just a handful of many people that, that send me business. And so when you're looking to build up your referral network, find somebody that loves talking to people, goes to all the networking events, is active in the groups, you know, is out there and they're, you know, they, they operate in a very extroverted manner and they have a lot of relationships and then also make sure that they're aligned with who you are and your ethics and your principles and how you operate. Cause otherwise you can get people referred to you that aren't a fit and it'll just cause you more chaos than good. Um, but it, when you think about, you know, building these referral networks up um, you want to come up with something that's a, a win-win that's fair, you know, referral fee or compensation when those people send you deals and then you want to nurture those relationships on a consistent basis. So every month, make sure they have updates from you about like what you're offering and, you know, things that they can share with their audience and just new information um, that they can put out there. And also, 
if your business model supports it, because this isn't required, but if it does, you can give your referral partners some kind of special deals or discounts that only that people can only get if they come through them. So that it makes it an exclusive channel too. Mm -hmm. So there are times where I have referral partners who they can send me somebody and that person may either get a bonus inside of their package when they sign up with us, or they may get some kind of discount or special pricing. Um, And so that's finding those influencers in your actual space uh, you know, it, it is perfect because you don't need somebody that has, you know, even a hundred thousand followers, you know, on social or things like that. You just need somebody that is actually influential in your industry. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. Have you found your referral partners are folks that offer complementary services to what you offer? I mean, you mentioned the person who does copywriting, but on a much smaller scale and yeah. not interested in expanding. So let's look at some other examples. Maybe you could share some actual clients where you've either helped them or you've seen them do a really effective job working with these referral networks. Yeah, I I would say for me, it's, it's probably split somewhat evenly of people that have complimentary services where we don't do the same thing. Um, and then also I get referrals from people that do the exact same thing as me that are either smaller companies or bigger companies or just too busy. So like I have a client of mine um, who does some coaching and a few small things with us who runs an agency very similar to ours, but he's six or eight years, you know, earlier in it. Like he, he's, his business is, I don't know, three or four years old and will be 14 years old this year. Um, so there's stuff that's just too big for him to take on. So there's some cases where I have referral partners like that, that'll say, Hey, can you white label under me and just be my back end to provide this service, which is, which works well. Cause that's about, you know, that's 40 or 50% of our business that we work with other agencies or white label under other people. And then there's, um, you know, some other folks who, like I said, that copywriter, which we do tons of, he's like, this is too big of a project for me. I'll just pass them directly to you and then get a, you know, a referral fee from it. So it definitely doesn't have to just be complimentary. Um, and I find that it's better to view, you know, your quote unquote competitors as collaborators. Like if you view it that way, you can do a lot more business and have a lot more positive relationships than thinking, Oh, somebody's taking food off my plate. Rarely is that the case. I mean, that yes, there are those cases, but it's not that frequent. Um, and so it doesn't, it can be complimentary services or it can be, you know, direct competitors in the sense that they do the same thing as you. Mm-hmm. I think it goes back again to that abundance mindset, feeling like, oh, there's plenty for all of us, not yeah. um, limited. Do you have any clients? Uh, does one come to mind that you think, man, they just do a fabulous job? working with their partners and what is it specifically that they do? I like what you're saying about nurturing those relationships and, you know, reaching out, touching uh, in some way with them. What are some other examples of that? Yeah. um, I mean, I, I would say the partners that I've had the most success with over the years now that it's been actually over a decade with a couple of really strong ones is, they are aligned with me in the same sense of that they really value their relationships. And so they know that they're going to send me somebody that they think is good enough to work with them because they don't want to cause problems for me. Um, 
and the way that we both show up for the client. Cause there's a lot of times where somebody referred me and say like, Hey, I'm already working with them on this front, but you should really use business marketing engine because we, you know, they'll cover this other end. Um, knowing that your, your referral partner is really aligned with you of how you operate and how you think and how you, you know, take care of people is, is more important than the other details because then you'll be able to go, Oh, you know, we know we're just going to do the right thing by this person and, you know, both of us. And if, if we need to collaborate or talk about solutions, then, um, then we'll do that. So like, as an example, um, from one of my longtime referral partners, we started a big pay-per-click campaign and it was, we started it. Um, I think we started it like first week in November and because of the holidays and a couple technical challenges, uh, we, end, you know, things got delayed. It wasn't as fast a launch as we typically have on our campaigns. So I reached out to this partner who, in this case, we were white labeling under them. And I said, you know what? I said, we're not going to bill for January. I said, we're only like a week and a half off schedule. But I said, I just don't feel right about billing for it. There's been delays. There's been just stuff that nobody expected that the client didn't expect on their side that you and I didn't expect. I said, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to skip January's billing. And the reason I did that is because the relationship is way more important to me than the revenue. And that's not something I do every day. You can't do it every day and run a business. But in that case, it was nice to know that me and, and my referral partner were on the same page of like, let's just take care of our client. Um, we're both doing business with them. I know we're working, you know, under you in this project case, but if we take good care of them, then we can really nurture a long-term relationship instead of, not acknowledging that there was a couple hiccups and challenges that happen in business um, and just owning that. And so those are the types of partners that I'm looking for that understand that the relationship is more important than the money today. Um, and, you know, people that are just aligned with how we think about, you know, serving and partnering with our clients. Mm -hmm. That's great because that's a wonderful example of taking the long view, yeah. not the transaction. It's, it's nurturing and taking care of people and that relationship and, and wanting them to have a good feeling, right, about working with you. Because if they had a bad feeling like they got ripped off, the long-term impact of that is very damaging for you and this other um, company. So that is a great example. Well, one of the other things I wanted to go into, because I know you help coaches and consultants with services that you refer to as destinations, content, content, and traffic. So talk about each of those and why they're important. Yeah, like over the years, um, like I started in tech and marketing as a teenager and learned a lot then. And I feel like in the last 10 years or so, um, I've started to distill it down to more simple concepts that are easier for me to understand, to teach the team and also share with my clients. And I realized that um, really it comes down to in marketing, there's only three things. You need a destination to send somebody to, you know, you need content that'll explain what they're going to get with the value, you know, and nurturing them. And then you need traffic, you know, to get to the content and the destinations. And so a destination is either holding your in-person event, which we'll be getting back to here soon, I'm sure. Um, or driving, you know, driving traffic to a retail store or location or sending people to download an app, um, or visit a web page or, you know, visit a landing page. And so in order to market something, you have to have a destination. You have to say, oh, go check this out. Go, go here, right? So when we're working with our clients, we say, hey, is, is your website really the right destination? You know, is it going to convert or do we need to make improvements there? Is there a mobile app or website or, 
you know, like I said, is there a, a workshop or event you want to drive people to? That's the first thing that we define with our clients so that then they have something to talk about directly and they also have to market. And then from a content perspective, um, content could be anything from creating the right kind of webinar that would get people to convert, um, putting out written content, blog posts, email marketing. Maybe it's creating videos or we help our clients launch and manage their own podcasts. Um, the content is how you build the relationship with your prospect, right? So obviously I know with everybody that's listening here today, Meredith, they know who you are and they know, you know, how you operate and what you do. And the more times that they hear you on your show, the more they'll learn to trust you. And then you'll get over time, if you put out high quality content and you're really nurturing that relationship, you'll get people that will go to the destination and sign up, or they'll send you an email and say, Hey, I've been listening to you for a while and I'm ready for your services. Um, that's what content is all about. It's about nurturing that relationship and solving problems, you know, for your audience that way. And then traffic really comes, you know, to how can we get more people to see this? So through search engine optimization, you know, getting you, you know, high ranking in Google nationally or local to where you're at, um, any kind of paid traffic. So Facebook ads, Google ads, um, and there's, you know, LinkedIn ads, YouTube ads, there's a million paid traffic sources that we would, based on what your market says, where they're at, um, then we would drive traffic through there. Then you can use radio, television, direct mail, you know, SMS. There's there's tons of ways to drive traffic. It's just a matter of determining where your audience is already engaged and hanging out. Um, and so the way we start with our clients is instead of assuming that they'll know all the answers to what the destination is, what the content should be, and what the traffic should be, we always start just by building a strategic marketing plan and saying, you know, we'll interview our clients, we interview their clients. Um, to have those conversations. So we really support them in figuring out where is it that your prospects are hanging out? Where, why did your clients buy from you? And out of that, we build a strategic marketing plan that says, here's where you should, you know, the destination should be. Here's the type of content that needs to go out. And here's where you can drive traffic from. Um, so that's, that's kind of an overview of how we operate. Mm-hmm. And I think those are three good areas for anyone in business to, to think about. Um, yep. And the, the idea of the traffic goes back to what we were talking about, you know, earlier, where do you find your ideal clients or prospective yep. clients and um, finding ways to appeal to them, approach them um, with, you've talked about different kinds of paid traffic, you know, like ads or direct mm-hmm. marketing. Um, and I agree with you, the importance of building a list but in terms of free, you know, some free strategies that someone might um, take on, whether it's on LinkedIn for somebody that's more B2B or Facebook or Instagram, what are some ideas that you have just in terms of the kind of content that you're seeing gets good engagement or responses um, on any of those platforms? Are there some overall principles you could share? Um, the first thing I point out, and I, I know what you meant, but just to be clear is that I always encourage people to not think about anything as free because you're either going to invest time or money. So, um, and, and that's a, that's a good thing to call out because then you, as you get busier and more successful in your business grows, you can say, okay, I know I was trading time to get this result, but now it's time to trade some money to get this result so that I can keep growing the business. Um, but I do understand your question. So, where, where can you invest time, you know, to drive traffic and results? I mean, the, one of the simplest, you know, marketing strategies is to 
talk about the success you've had with clients and share that, you know, on social media, in your email newsletter, um, at networking events, just give a snippet of, of what, you know, success you've been able to achieve for your clients. And then say, you know, if, if you want that kind of success, then reach out. I'd be glad to talk to you and then just have conversations. Um, and so what I encourage my clients to do is come up with that list of, you know, set some time aside where you're not going to be distracted and like turn your phone off and like actually write down um, some of these things and just write down like, what are all the success stories that I've had over the years as it relates to my work? And if you're new in business, you can still write these down because maybe it was before you charged for this, but you coached somebody and helped them through a problem. Or maybe it was at your past job or your current job that you're going to leave someday um, that you got these results. Those are still results that you got. So listing all those out and then, you know, um, often I, I'll either change the name or just not mention the name of the client. I'm not going to put other people's business out there, but I can say, oh yeah, we came in um, as an example, because this is a real story for us. And we came in this client who runs an e-learning company um, online had unfortunately been left by other vendors and everything was a mess. Their websites weren't up to date. Things were broken. There was like students had trouble accessing things that they had paid for. Like we had all these challenges um, and their server was really out of date. And so we came in and we built a step-by-step plan where we upgraded all their technology. We fixed all the user access issues. And now their clients are able to access things more, you know, quickly. They've been able to increase their revenue. Um, and they don't have to worry about their, their technology anymore because we manage that for them fully. So they can dedicate their time back to, you know, building their courses and nurturing their audience and doing what they love doing and what they're good at. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of how you can tell a story of the result that you got and then say, you know, if you'd like to learn more about that, reach out and we can have a conversation because all of your marketing should be driven at having a conversation. It doesn't, and it doesn't matter how big you get if you want to have a conversation with another person, um, there, there are a few cases and there are times where somebody may purchase something ahead or something like that, but it's all with the goal of talking to somebody to solve their problem um, in, in almost all cases. And so that's what your marketing should be driven at, sharing results and examples, and then asking people, hey, if, if you want this to, we should have a conversation. I love that because to me, this was, I was hearing you describe that it's sort of like before, during, after. What was the problem they were having before they got you to help them? And then what did you do? And then what was life like for them after afterward? Exactly. So that's a great sequence that anyone can follow. And I think one of the things that I like about that suggestion is so many folks that I know and work with and listen to my podcast have had great experiences over time. They've got lots of client success stories, but they haven't taken the time to really tap into those and extract some of those nuggets from them and then use that on their various platforms, even in their newsletters to really highlight the benefits. Mm -hmm. They don't have to say overtly, work with me. That is conveyed in the story that is shared. Yeah. And it's, I think the challenge is when you're doing your own marketing, you kind of have to step back and and look at it with fresh eyes or pretend that you're coaching or consulting for another client. Because what I just told you, it works very well. We help our clients do that stuff all the time. We can help them launch really successful marketing campaigns. And still there's times where I struggle with my own marketing, even though I own a marketing company. 
because I need to step back and go, Oh, like I just need to treat myself like a client. Mm -hmm. And so what I'd encourage people to do is like, pretend you're not you for a minute. And from a third party, say like, if you had to get audited in a good way, we'll say, and they had to come in and say like, what are all the results you got? Or you had to prove what you've done, like take a, a new perspective on it. Um, and that will help you to be more effective and, you know, creating your own marketing and putting it out there. Cause if we stay just inside of our own perspective in our own head, then we start to think falsely, Oh, everybody knows what I do and it's boring, or I don't know how to talk about it. And that's when we get introspective in the wrong way, it becomes like a negative form of selfish thinking. Cause I think there is some positive selfish thinking, but in this case, it's kind of negative. It's just like, Oh me, you know, and you start looking at you, that's again, you know, not what it's about. It's like, Somebody out there needs this solution. They need your message. So think about that one person as you write your content or as you speak or as you think about your marketing and just imagine you're talking to like that one ideal client. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners have a client that they love working with or, or more, I'm sure. But think about one you love working with and think, oh man, there's another one of those people out there that's just waiting to hear from me. So think, just think about their clone and speak to them as you write or as you speak and think about how exciting it's going to be to help them grow just like you help the other client grow. Um, that's just an exercise that kind of pulls, you know, pulls me out of my own head. Um, and I'll share one other one too. Um, when I'm struggling with like, man, how should I do this? Or I don't know what to do, or I'm confused in my own head. I will think about like my son who's nine and I'll think like, if he came to me in this position, you know, years down the road and asked me for advice, what would I tell him to do? And it, it makes it easier for me to tell him what to do than it is to tell myself what to do. And I just write it all down. And then it's like, Oh yeah, of course that's like, it helps me get out of my own head. And so either think about like a kid or a loved one or a niece or nephew or somebody that would come to you for advice and imagine they're in your position and then write them a letter or a step-by-step -step of what to do. And it makes it a lot easier to get outside of your own head. Oh, what a great perspective. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Well, speak of, of love. My final question for you is around that introduction I gave where you focus on the importance of being kind and loving to others. You know, I don't think we hear enough of that in business. And I would love to know how do you personally do this and how do you convey to your team members the importance of these values in the way they show up, the way you show up and interact with anyone who comes in contact with your business? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. And I think that sometimes people misunderstand kindness for softness. And that's not what I mean. Um, it can You can be soft and gentle, and there are times for that. Um, but just as much, I think kindness is, is speaking the truth to people. And we actually finished something recently that I'm, that I'm proud of and, and works well and is effective. Um, I, we wrote out our, you know, our 15 core principles, our guiding principles of how we operate. And one of them that answers that question, um, it's number eight, it's positive confrontation. And it says, BME is a safe place where we provide direct and respectful communication and feedback whenever there are challenges, issues, and opportunities. And if you think about how to speak, you know, kindly um, to your clients, being kind is not only being kind and respectful and, you know, saying, Oh, like amazing job there. You did a great job here. Here's the things that I see. And I just want to express appreciation for our relationship, but it's also being kind of saying, Hey, if you keep running that direction, you're going to run into the street and get hit. And that's kindness. And sometimes you have to grab somebody's hand and say, hold on a second. We need to have a conversation about this because I care about you 
mm-hmm. and, and being kind and loving is saying, you know what, there are some serious things from my perspective, and I just want to share them with you, not to be manipulative or like, not with any negative intention, but my intention in addressing this is to be kind and, and strong and help you um, address these challenges that are coming. Because one way or the other, you at least need to be aware of this, or I want you to know that I'm aware of it so I can help you through it. Because that's how you really help somebody is you watch their back and you watch out for other things that um, come up, but you can do those. You can have those conversations in a positive manner. That's why we call it positive confrontation. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to come in there full of ego. You can come in and frame up the conversation. And I could say, you know, Meredith, my intention of sharing with you, what I'm going to share with you is I really want you to be successful and I care about you. However, if you keep going this path, I've seen so many people around me or clients, or I've seen this end disaster and I don't want you to end there, you know, mm-hmm. and that you think is the greatest idea ever, but it's my responsibility. If I'm really, I'm going to be kind and care for you to say, this is what I see as warnings. And then it's, it's your business. You should make the best choice for you, but I'm not going to sit here quietly and not say something. So mm-hmm. I, I really like that definition that you're giving to kindness and, and the distinction you made there about it not being softness, because really everything you just said is about telling the truth and somebody yeah. knowing that you will be honest with them because you have their best interests at heart. And that is huge because there is so much of everybody out for themselves in business that when you have the approach of I'm here to help and serve you, it's, it mm-hmm. feels different. And I, it most likely is received much better because the way you just framed it and what you just said as an example is an excellent way of how you bring that caring into your business relationships. And I think from my own experience and just listening to you, Gabe, that that is a key element of long-term success in business. Because people that that trust you and trust that you have their best interests at heart want mm-hmm. more of that. They want more of you. Am I right on that? Yeah, and it, it's the simplest thing. And it, it even sounds silly to, to realize this or say this now, but even like three or four years ago, I wasn't as upfront about like, that's how I operate and that's how I'm going to show up. And I, I didn't, I didn't bring my heart into the situation first. It was all tactics or we have to do it this way, or this is what it costs. And that is a really shallow and short-term approach. But if you show up with heart first and you really speak from the heart and you truly choose to care about people, you will have unlimited wealth and unlimited relationships and everything works better. Like it's just, it's the simplest, if you could call it a cheat code to business, if that is the one is to really speak from your heart, really care about people, stand on what you believe and like have the tough conversations, um, but really operate from your heart and truly, I know this is a saying that we all say, but truly treat people the way that you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Like truly think about me and what would it be like if I was in that position and how could I take care of them in a way that would surprise them and delight them? And, and they'd be like, man, I don't care what happens. I want to keep working with that person. And I, I don't execute that perfectly, but that's what we try to show up and do every day. And mm-hmm. it, it makes business a lot easier for sure. <laughs> yes. Well, we're all humans, so you can't get it a hundred percent every time, but still that spirit, people mm-hmm. sense that. And yeah. so even if you, you know, stumble occasionally, they give you the benefit of the doubt because of that strength of the relationship that you form. Gabe, yep. I just, 
am so excited about everything you've shared today. Thank you so much for the gift of you to my audience. So how can they learn more about your services and connect with you if they'd like to know more about what you offer? Yeah, the easiest thing you can do is you can go to businessmarketingengine.com and you can see what we have to offer there. You can contact us there. And also I'm, I'm super easy to look up on social media, if, if you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, it, just look up Gabe Arnold. And then I share some of my other ideas and thoughts and projects on my, on my personal blog, which is gabearnold.com. Great. Thank you. So that's businessmarketingengine.com. Yes. Great. And that's Gabe, G-A-B-E, Arnold. And we'll have all these links on the show notes page of your interview. But I did want to mention them here for those that are listening on their favorite uh, podcast platform. Gabe, thank you so much for being with me today and for all the great business and personal interpersonal relationship tips that you shared. I just love that. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.